Welcome to the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum that explores everything pertinent to digital trust. And I'm your host, Mathieu Glaude. For folks listening to this conversation, this is not meant to be an intro on decentralized identifiers. If anyone listening to this wants a little bit more of a foundational discussion on decentralized identifiers or DIDs, which we'll refer to throughout this conversation. Marcus and I did a podcast last year, so please go back to episode 52 if you feel like you want to just learn a bit more about DIDs overall before listening to this conversation. This conversation will go a little bit more deeper and talk about some subjects around DIDs or what needs to happen for DIDs to be trusted, for DIDs to be adopted. And the framework I was hoping to use today, Marcus, for this discussion um, was just kind of looking at a SWOT analysis around DIDs. So looking at some of its strengths, some of its weaknesses, some opportunities, and perhaps some threats. And hopefully we come up with some good conversation around that framing, which again, will help with the overall uh, intent of uh, promoting the adoption of DIDs because we're all aligned on tremendous benefits that they have. So along those lines, if we start our SWOT analysis with examining strengths, we talked a bit about this on the previous episode we did together, but uh, maybe a good place to start is just on the topic of the identifier altogether and perhaps comparing DIDs against other identifiers that exist today that we use and talking a little bit about some of the strengths that decentralized identifiers have over other types of identifiers that we use in our daily lives. Absolutely. So the most important strength or the most important um, aspect of DIDs is, is of course as the name suggests, so they are designed to be decentralized, meaning they, they can work and they can be created and used without a central authority and without intermediaries. There's this famous uh, model or concept of Sukos triangle, which uh, has been a way of describing uh, desirable properties of different types of identifiers. So there are three uh, properties, right? Identifiers can be human meaningful, uh, like domain names, for example, identifiers can be decentralized, uh, like, uh, let's say UUIDs, um, and identifiers can be secure, uh, which means that if uh, there is one identifier uh, that uh, cannot be controlled by by someone else, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unique, right? And it's fulfill uh, the decentralized property and, and the secure or globally unique property. They, they are not human meaningful, but but these, this is one way of looking at the strengths of deeds. Um, traditionally, we've also listed uh, a few other properties that deeds are designed to have. Um, and again, there's just the decentralized parts part uh, and it's in addition to that, it's also been designed to be persistent. So uh, meaning that once you created it, it uh, cannot be taken away from you and it consistently identifies the same subject. And then also it's uh, are designed to be cryptographically verifiable and it's are designed to be resolvable, which means that given a deed, you can obtain metadata. Now in practice, not all deeds and not all deed methods actually fulfill all these properties in in the same way but uh conceptually this the fact that these are designed and have the ability to have such properties this is pretty special so to, to my knowledge there are for example not really any other identifier systems that are designed to be at the same time decentralized and persistent and resolvable so these these aspects together is a pretty strong and, and unique aspect of this. Is the human readable or human readable aspect is maybe different among different implementations of the did like for different did methods, maybe some are more readable than others, but would, would you say that's a weakness that that did have, or perhaps it could even be viewed as, as a strength. I, I, understand the secure and the centralized part, the persistent parts, 
but is human readability more of a or lack thereof more of a strength or more of a weakness of dids? Well, it could be both a strength or a weakness, depending how you how you look at it. But it's what it what it really is, and and what also the sucrose triangle, what that model says, is that there are trade offs, trade offs, right? So if you have deeds that are more human readable or human meaningful, uh, like uh, the deed web method, for example, then uh, those are then typically less decentralized, uh, for example. So that that that's the the trade off that you have between the different properties and and during the evolution and uh, development of of deeds, there have been many debates about about this, right? So, um, like I said, deeds have been designed to have these properties, but they're not always really accomplishing them to to the same degree. There's a whole conversation around uh, different types of um, verifiable identifiers or self-asserting identifiers from, from different spaces. Could could you contrast DIDs to, to these other types of verifiable identifiers and perhaps talk about some of the benefits again that, that a DID has versus other types of verifiable identifiers? And, and for folks listening, like an email address and a phone number are identifiers, but Perhaps not not verifiable, not cryptographically verifiable, but there are other types of cryptographically verifiable identifiers that are DIDs, and do DIDs have benefits over these? Maybe you could shed some uh, light onto that. Yeah, there are definitely other types of identifiers that are cryptographically verifiable. Um, for example, the the term uh, crypto NIM has been has been used uh, sometimes. Um, you could also just also consider just a, a fingerprint of a of a public key uh, to be be a verifiable identifier, and uh, also a number of other efforts like uh, AIDs, autonomous identifiers, as as they are being used by by the carry community, for example, that are also cryptographically verifiable. Um, to contrast uh, some of those two two deeds, I, I I would say there's that there's a lot of a lot of overlap and a lot of a lot of similarity. Of of course, one of the things that deeds are, are also trying to to offer is uh, is a, a standardized identifier format, um, a standardized discovery metadata format, uh, the deed document. And the extensible architecture provided by by DID methods, right? So this this is also a key element of of DIDs, that there's not just one way or one type of of DIDs, but that DIDs themselves um, also constitute an an abstraction layer. And and in 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 many cases, if you look at other non-DID identifiers, then in many cases it's also possible to design a, a DID method around them and then also consider those other non-DID identifiers um, a, a type of DID again by by just defining a, a method that that makes them a, a DID. What would be an example of that? Uh, carry and and carry AIDs, right? So carry has this this concept of autonomous identifiers, which in, in many ways is a is a very uh, radical type of cryptographically verifiable identifier that does does not make any trade-offs where uh, trust and decentralization uh, is is really based on on math and cryptography itself and there's there's really no other system like uh, uh, blockchains or, or other decentralized networks that are that are required for that so, so that's that's why Carry and, and AIDs are getting quite a bit of, of attention, but uh, there's also a, a did carry method, right? So the, this type of identifier can uh, again just be considered and treated and, and mapped to to a to a did method, and, and therefore also considered just uh, a, a new uh, did method with uh, with its its own properties. There's also just closing the conversation on strengths of DIDs, there's obviously the, I think the phone number has become the most uh, abused identifier and email address is maybe second. I don't know if 
they they flipped or what but i think just the the privacy benefit of dids or, or being able to use different dids for different types of interactions or the even the non-discoverability of dids uh perhaps are big benefits that they have to reduce a lot of the abuse and fraud that just happens in our everyday lives today uh maybe one thing to to mention that uh, sometimes it's also it could also be useful to to use deeds and to define deed methods for other types of identifiers that that could also be used in a in a non deed deed way but uh, where we're using deeds and defining a deed method uh, just has advantages again because of the standardized identifier format and the standardized discovery format and and here I'm, I'm thinking again about deed web right so uh domain names are are not new and and uh, and web addresses are are not new and uh, http urls have been around for a long time and there are many applications where uh many applications like verifiable credentials and and other things where you could just use http urls uh with with domain names but still uh there's been the development around deed web to to identify a, a deed method around these uh, existing identifiers simply because uh, it's it's easier to have uh, the, the standard identifier format and and the standard uh, document that uh, describes the the metadata about about a subject right so in in, ter in terms of the properties of the identifier and, and the infrastructure that it is based on there's not really a difference between HTTP or HTTPS URLs and and uh, DID web identifiers, but still people are using the the DID format simply because of the standardization of the of the model uh, around. If we move towards weaknesses, and uh, as I'm thinking through these, I, I think a lot of these are nuanced as well. Like a lot of when we're looking at strengths, you could look at things different ways, and same things with the the weaknesses as well, but. Um, Maybe a framing for for this one. We've had conversations about this before, Marcus. About like, how do I trust a DIT? It, it, it's one thing that a DIT is created, and someone's presenting a DIT to me, and then they're making a claim or they're asking for something. But how, how do I trust that DIT? Um, what do I need to depend on to trust that DIT? So it might be useful to to dive a little bit into that question from just a technical technical dependency standpoint but also there's like a whole governance standpoint there too so how do i trust it did yeah how to trust it did that's a that's a really interesting question and and one that's uh probably a bit more difficult to answer than with other types of identifiers um, again due to the nature of uh, of the did model and and did architecture because because of the because of uh, two reasons really right so one reason that makes uh, the difficult question how to trust the deed is the variety of deed methods right um, you can only trust the deed to the extent that you can trust the deed method and there's a great variety of of deed methods and depending on the deed method that is being used there are different uh, parties or concepts or technologies that you implicitly have to trust, right? If you use the web, then you have to trust the, the domain name system and the, the web server and the HTTP protocol and so on. If you use a blockchain-based DID method, then you have to trust that that blockchain um, and, and so on. So there's, there's not really one universal approach to how you can trust DIDs because there's so many different ways how DIDs can work. And that's the essential difference to um, things like domain names and the, the DNS system, because there you have uh, one protocol, right? DNS resolution, one way how domain names get uh, get created, one way how they can be resolved. And you have a number of building blocks like uh, DNSSEC and, and so on that are uh, relatively easy to, to describe. And uh, so, but with, with this, you don't have that, right? Because you have all these different did method so that's uh one reason why why the question is is not so easy to answer and the the other reason 
is also that uh, then DNS resolvers, so those are then the software or hardware components that uh, that look up a did and retrieve the associated uh, metadata, the associated did document. These did resolvers, they can also come in, in different forms. So did resolver can be a, a remote service, and then you have all the uh, trust-related questions that come with that. How can you how can you trust a, a remote service? Who operates that? How can you trust that it returns the correct response? And so on. But the um, resolvers can also be local processes, right? So that's the that's the second uh, dimension if, of trust in deeds, if you if you want, right? So if, I feel like there are these these two dimensions. Uh, trust in the in the did method and uh, the mechanisms it defines, and then trust in the in the did resolver and in, in the the form that it that it that it comes with or the way how it is deployed and and used. How do you build trust around the did method? Um, that does it inherently need to have some linkage to governance or some external human trust thing to tr to trust the did, or is it really just trusting the like the technical integrity of it altogether and and i think again in the nuanced discussion having tons of did methods mm -hmm. to choose from is <laughs> is a good thing for offering flexibility but then is maybe a lesser of a good thing to build uh, trust towards did methods altogether because it's a little bit more difficult to come up with one process for for this and it almost makes me think too of so you mentioned the DNS is one way to resolve, but the diff the difference in these identity, as Kim Cameron would say, like meta systems, is you're not just going to have one namespace, one one way of doing everything. It just won't work on on the internet. So if you're going to have the a plurality of options, um, how do you build trust in any singular DID method? Is it a governance question, or could it just be done technically? Um, does it need to be done in the DID core spec itself? Like uh, at what layer? Do you need to um, to create improvements? Well, you can of course try to build individual did methods in in a way that that uh, maximizes or offers trust. Right. That that's one reason maybe why there are so many different did methods because they're different. Answers or different understanding understandings of of how you can build trust within within a did method, right? And and that is often a, a political or ideological question where some some people would uh, would say that did uh, methods that are using more or less decentralized blockchains can be trusted, and and did methods that are based on hierarchical systems like uh, dns can cannot be trusted and, and there will be other people again who will say that only did methods that that rely on, on on only cryptography and nothing else like uh, did key or did carry only only those can be trusted so that, that there's definitely an element that is did method specific right and and there's also, of course, this this whole discussion in the blockchain or distributed ledger community around the permissioned or permissionless ledgers. Do you have a, a public permissionless network where anyone can run a node, and you have a consensus mechanism based on on different assumptions, or do you have a more permissioned system where there is an an authority that uh, that governs? Uh, who operates components within the the did method? So there's this this entire class of questions of how to build trust uh, within within a did method. If I could just add, so it's, so it's not it's obviously not a straightforward answer as I'm understanding. It's more like different did methods will make you have to rely on different other systems or different trust infrastructures like the there's reliance on other trust systems or dependencies on other trust systems for any of these methods would you not say and that's just kind of like based on based on your context where where are you comfortable making these um 
I wouldn't say concessions, but accepting uh, accepting other trust models. Well, one one aspect of of this or one one consideration that goes beyond the different DIN methods or uh, one way of then building trust potentially across across different DIN methods so to to try to build trust on a on a level above that uh, could be done potentially by by linking deeds of of any DIN method to some other existing trust infrastructure or trust registries or or sources of 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 trust that, that already exist somewhere right and and by that i i mean for example the idea of uh, linking deeds to uh, x509 certificates so there's been a, a lot of work on that and a lot of different proposals on how that that can be done and then the in, in that case the, the theory is that if you if you have a way of linking deeds to x509 certificates in a in a reliable way then uh, you may not have to trust the deed method it, itself um, because there would be a, a cryptographic link between the deed and the other existing existing infrastructure that uh, that can be verified um, another example is uh, trying to link deeds to uh, to the DNS system including an, an infrastructure based on on DNSSEC right so in, in that case the idea is again that even if if deeds by themselves or the deed method is does not provide the level of trust that that you need and by linking that to to a DNS and DNSSEC based uh, infrastructure it, uh, it it should be possible uh, to verify such links and, and to verify the the correctness of the of the data associated with um, uh, with the deed uh, in in a way that's the method independent right and uh, and a third a third example that that comes to mind again has to do with uh, with the the carry community the the carry ecosystem which um, who has done a a lot of work on trying to establish trust in a relatively radical way that that, that only uh, relies on, on cryptography and there have been also interesting initiatives to to link that uh, trust infrastructure or that um, that very deep cryptographic trust to other did methods which or to did methods which by themselves alone may not have sufficient trust right and and here i'm i'm thinking about the did web s method where which is like uh, like did web but it doesn't actually trust the the dns and the and the web infrastructure uh, it only uses those for discovery but in, in order to to trust that it did method it uh, it it again uses the the, the carry based cryptographic model as a as as a basis so th these are our three examples right uh, x509 certificates dns sec and, and carry whether the concept is that in a did method independent way you can attach uh, trust to to uh, to deeds it's almost like a concept of uh, multi-factor authentication that you're describing then because it's you're still in control of, of the identifier of the did but you could I guess show that you're the controller of um, different identifiers, or you're able to show that it's the same signature across a did doc or a did in, in other locations. Um, just like I think for authentication online today, there's been a big shift in the past few years to to multi-factor authentication for a lot of uh, relying parties. Would that be the idea then to just? Is it a multi-factor authentication for for a did? Is that a good framing? Yeah, I I think so. I think it's a it's a valid comparison or valid way of of, of describing it because uh, yeah, you would you would uh, resolve the did and uh, hopefully do do that with a did method and with a did resolver that. Uh, 
that you can trust. And in addition to that, you have another, an additional way of, of verifying that you, that you get the correct result by verifying a, a link to, to an X509 certificate or to a, a DNSSEC infrastructure or to a, a carry key um, based key infrastructure. So yeah, I think it's a good way of, of putting it. And, and and all of that, all of what we've talked so far is about the, the technical trust, right? It's about how you can ensure that you get the correct DIT document, the correct metadata about about the DIT. So so far, none of that has really been about human trust, right? How do you know who is who is behind that DIT? Um, so that's an entirely uh, separate question in my mind. Although by um, leveraging other trust anchors like X509 or DNSSEC signed DNS records or carry, you could be leveraging other um, other governance mechanisms behind these things. But you're right, like you still, it still becomes difficult to know who the actual identity or, so we've kind of described like discovery happenings resolution happening but then the whole verify parts is is maybe not there yet and just to to come back so i'm I trying to move through the swat uh analysis type of thing and we're, we're still in weaknesses although uh, as i'm going through this with you marcus it's just everything's so blended um so let's let's keep moving but um while we're on the topic of did documents i do want to get to resolution as well because we're we're talking about perhaps relying on other other systems or other components. So there is a reliance on the DID methods, the DID documents. There's a reliance on the resolution part of things. But um, if I'm relying on a DID document, one of the things that DID documents, and again, it varies across DID methods, but it allows you to put certain information in there, is putting governance or more human trust inputs into a did document possible um smart to do or should should these things just remain technical and and help achieve i guess discovery and resolution and not not verify um so yeah, are you able to mix the human trust and governance into the technical side of things when it comes to a did doc, or should these things remain separate? I, I think both is possible, and and I would say since dits were first invented and since people started to work on on dits years ago, the the understanding of of this question has always has also changed a few times. So the the most the most common answer today uh, that, uh, that that you would get is that uh, you should in, in many cases not not mix that right and and you should in the in the document only have the minimum amount of information uh, in, in order to enable trustable interaction right so service endpoints and, and public keys and, and nothing else and uh, the, the usual uh, justification explanation for that has to do with with privacy and uh, correlation and uh, uh, regulations like the GDPR in in Europe, so you should not have um, personal data in your in your data document. This this also has to do with the fact that uh, historically um, many of the first few data methods were based on on blockchains, where you have this immutable and fully uh, globally visible data structure and then. It, it makes a lot of sense to not put any kind of uh, personal data into the DIT document if that becomes uh, immutable and uh, visible to to anyone. So this is the, the 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 most common answer, right? That you just you just uh, should have the the minimum amount of information in the DIT document, and then if you want to exchange any kind of uh, human data or personal data, you should uh, do that in a different way with DITCOM or OpenID or wallets or, or things like like that. Um, but it's also interesting to know that originally, again, in the first few specification drafts um, in, the, in the early days of DITs, there has been, been a concept that a DIT document itself could contain verifiable credentials, right? So that was done a bit 
the opposite idea where uh, for, for a short while at least there, there was this approach where you would discover in the data document both technical data and also potentially uh, claims about about the subject and um, my personal opinion is that it can still make sense so maybe for use cases like organizational identity right where you have less of a you know, privacy concerns but to to, to include uh, claims to include more than just technical metadata in the in the document i think can make and can make sense and in some cases if it's carefully considered and the the document data model technically certainly allows that um not all did methods supported in the same way, right? So there are some did methods that are a bit uh, restrictive and what they what you can actually put into the into the document. Um, but uh, maybe also to add that is that, that recently in in DIF in the decentralized identity foundation, there's been uh, a new work item which specifies how you can uh, use a did document service endpoint to link directly to a verifiable presentation, uh, which would then contain credentials about a, a subject. So that's maybe a little bit of a of a middle ground, right? Where you don't have uh, human trust related information in the, the document itself, but you do have a link to a verifiable uh, presentation. And uh, here again, it's, it's recommended to only use that for a legal entity and not for uh, not for people. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do agree if, if you're going to stick claims inside of a did document, claims about organizations that are sharing public information anyways is less um, of a risk than putting claims inside of a did document for, for an individual. Let's say you brought up privacy and correlation and data privacy laws as risks there. It, it kind of blurs the line between the identifiers and claims, I guess, because like verifiable credentials are claims. You could put a claim in a did doc. You could put a claim in a trust list. Um, at the same time, putting a claim in a did document could help you trust the did more than if the claim wasn't in there, was not in there. And it's maybe a lower a lower lift to to resolve a did and verify a claim in a did doc than it would be to have the infrastructure needed to verify a verifiable credential. I just don't know where the line is, <laughs> if there is a line. Uh, but it's just like, if we're talking about, yeah, I, I want to have like signed claims to build trust. How far, how far do you go in a did and does it start to impact other processes like resolution and performance and, and stuff like that. I, the resolution must get complicated at that point if you're going to start adding stuff in there and you need to verify claims. It's an interesting question. Well, if if we let let's say if we if we did that, if we put claims or verifiable and credentials into a did document or even just a link to that from from the did document, would it be in scope of the deed resolution process to to try to verify that uh, right so you, you could argue that it's it's not part of the deed resolution process because the resolution just gives you the deed document and then some some other layer in in the stack is responsible for verifying uh, any other information in there um how, however deeds and uh, deed resolution process is also extensible right there uh, Resolution options. There did uh, did parameters. Uh, there's there's one did parameter, for example, called uh, HL, right? Hash link, where where you could add to the to the did you can add um, a hash of the expected did document, and then the, the resolver could verify if the if the did document corresponds to that that hash that you have provided to the resolver as an as a as a parameter. And I'm I'm imagining. Theoretically, you, you could define an additional parameter for the deed resolution process that uh, tells a resolver to automatically verify all the credential, the credentials that it finds 
in the date document and uh, there can be date parameters or, or date resolution options to automatically verify a link between a date and uh, X509 certificate or a DNS uh, sec uh, based domain name or, or something like that, right? So you could build additional verification logic into a resolver itself and just ex define some uh, extension features to, to enable that. The second piece of how do I trust the did? So you started by talking about the did document and then you touched on the resolver again. So you're, you're kind of delegating a process to, to the resolver. And so I'm sure you don't want to pick up uh, just a random resolver on the, the internet, because if you're relying on what it's going to tell you, it, it may be not telling you the right information if there is the fraudulent resolver and I'm there's different types of resolvers as well right like in a lot of implementations you'll have a resolver embedded directly into the agent some will use third-party resolution services like I know you you, you offer some at the, the noob tech and if you're an enterprise as well, like you would, you'd imagine a lot of enterprises want to have a resolver with, with them, like on-prem, or at least have have control of this. So, um, when I talk about how do I trust the did, the resolver plays a big part in this as well. And um, should there be any efforts to standardize the resolution process? We we just talked about maybe resolver is extensible and it could verify claims as well but does it make sense to have more standardization in in the resolution space well then in, in my opinion uh, absolutely right so we have the we have the did core uh, specification which is a, a w3c standard which defines um, just the the interfaces for did resolution right so it, it defines Basically, what are the, the inputs and, and what are the the outputs in in an abstract way for for the resolution? But it doesn't define, uh, just doesn't say much about how that that works and what types of resolvers there are and how you interact uh, with them. Um, in the W3C Credentials Community Group, we've been working um, for some years on filling those gaps and and to to add more considerations and more. Mm, more language on on how the resolution works, so in, including on how, how, for example, you could invoke a a resolver over an HTTP API as as one way of uh, of of uh, interacting with a with a resolver. And um, at at the moment, there's a there's a process in W3C, of course, to try and establish a new uh, DIT working group. And uh, the plan is for that new did working group to to uh, really uh, put a strong focus on standardizing did resolution uh, to try and uh, answer many of these these uh, questions that we're also discussing here, right? Like how do you actually interact with a resolver and how can it be? What kind of architectures there there could be? Um, like you said, sometimes the resolution is just a local process, right? Uh, we definitely definitely don't want to give the impression that the resolution should always rely on some third-party service that would that would uh, contradict the spirit of 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 this, right? But the uh, the point is uh, again that that yeah, the the resolution can be can be based on on different architectures and it would definitely it, it will definitely help to have a, a working group to uh, to standardize that a bit better if we talk about opportunities which we've kind of been covering some a little bit here in the the last part of the the discussion opportunities for dids to continue being easier to use easily to deploy easy to deploy and more valuable um what are some opportunity, other opportunities that maybe the community could work on? One off the top of my mind is just like we're talking a lot about the discoverability, resolvability, and verifiability, but 
or being able to verify, but um, is did method discovery um, a challenge or an opportunity that could be worked on as well? Since there are many different deep methods and uh, not everybody implements the, the same deep methods, how do you know which ones are supported? How do you um, discover the deep methods that are supported by a resolver or within a certain industry or within a certain use case? I, I think it's, it's a topic that but that has been discussed a lot now in the in the process of creating a charter for the new DIT working group, right? One of the controversial topics around DITs has has always been uh, how interoperable DITs are, right? And why, while uh, one one part of the community argues that DITs themselves are a technology that enable interoperability because they provide this, this abstraction layer on, on top of different identifier systems. Um, some other communities have argued that uh, because there is no single mandatory and uh, authoritative list of, of did methods that have to be supported, because it's, it's basically up to, to individual communities and use cases and ecosystems, uh, th there's no guaranteed interoperability between deeds, right? Because in maybe in my resolver and in my use case, I implement deed web and deed key, but in, in your jurisdiction and in your wallet project, maybe you, you, know, you implement deed ION and uh, deed JWK, and then how do you achieve practical interoperability? And, um, and the realization is that that um, maybe that's a trade-off again, right? If you want full global interoperability of, of all deeds, then that would in turn uh, reduce the, the level of uh, decentralization because you would be forcing everybody to um, to use deeds and, and deed methods in a, in a certain way. But there have been uh, a lot of interesting suggestions, right? For example, um, a, a deed resolver could definitely describe and uh, and advertise which did methods it it supports um, also in in diff and the, the decentralized identity foundation there's a, another very very small very small work item that uh, all it does is it defines a a little json based data format that you can use to express what did methods you you support um, right so that's something that an, that a resolver could could express um, another idea uh, that has been proposed is that if a, if a resolver does not know how to resolve certain DID methods, it could uh, provide a response to a client with a potential list of known other resolvers that might be able to, to resolve a, a certain DID method. So you could imagine some kind of redirection or, or proxying architecture where the DID resolvers um, work together um, starting ideally with a with a local resolver right so you could use a, a, a local resolver for those did methods that you can easily resolve locally but you may have a, a list of uh, did, did resolvers that support other methods and uh, and there have even been some proposals to create a, a completely decentralized network of of did resolvers that uh, that um, somehow communicate or, or advertise how um, capabilities of of what deeds and can be can be resolved. So that there's still there's definitely some some interesting uh, room for <laughs> innovations. Does a particular did, I, I guess, because it, it's a bit of a uneven comparison if we're talking about different did methods, because as we've talked about, they have their different dependencies and considerations, but if you just take like a particular did method, doesn't matter what it is, but just talking about the same one, if it's implemented across different credential exchange protocols, for example, like if like a didcom based protocol or an open ID protocol or anything else, does it have the same value across different protocols? 
if this question makes sense because like if you think about like a didcon protocol you kind of you need a did to be able to to work with it versus some other protocols like OpenID don't necessarily seem to be advocating much for dids although they could be incorporated in there and we could get more into that in a few minutes but do does the same did method or based on the same trust model or whatever have the same value across different protocol implementations hmm so it's kind of an uh, interesting question i i think in in theory that should be decoupled right so the, the a protocol or an application should should i i think not not have a in theory right not have a preference of what did method you you want to use so conceptually these should be in entirely different layers right for for the did methods you you have uh, a choice of uh, what properties of of the individual did methods uh, appeal to you we, we talked about that right the, the trade offs around decentralization and what kind of trust comes with which which did method so and um that that uh, that is the basis for how you set up and and manage and use your identifier and then the services and applications that that are, are using that identifier that can be discovered from the identifier in, in theory should be should be uh, decoupled right but um, maybe it's not always entirely like that on uh, on, on for example um, not all the methods uh, provide the same features for for the did documents right there are some did methods that don't support service endpoints uh, there are some did methods where the, the documents cannot be updated um, there are did methods where you can have any arbitrary extensions in the did documents and there are the did methods where you cannot have that so if you have some application or protocol that requires some of these features then of course you can't you cannot use every did method in, in an equal way but then Regardless of the preference of did method, like didcom um, suggests that you need to use a did or whatever to be able to participate over uh, communication over did. That kind of is, is is in the name versus something like OpenID does not specify that you need to use that specific identifier type. So does the value that a did brings to like a didcom? exchange or interaction does it bring a similar value a did altogether to like an open id type of interaction and where, where i'm trying to go with this too is um i guess this is more i was looking to finish the conversation talking about threats but there are existing um large companies that are in the business of assigning identifiers to people and um, they don't seem to be advocating very much for decentralized identifiers because they're in the business of assigning identifiers and they monetize that. Um, so I wonder at times if dids are not suggested in certain environments, this maybe gets too political, but because of these reasons, because it's threatening to incumbents or if it just doesn't have the same value like implementing a did dope for for open id credential exchanges doesn't have the same value as it does for for other credential exchange protocols if that makes sense it's definitely a political question about interest and, and existing business models um, of of actors or members of communities that that promote certain protocols and and technologies um in 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 theory i i would argue that the protocols like open id could uh, definitely profit from the features and uh, properties of of dits uh, like the persistent identifiers the cryptographic verifiability the ability to to update the the did document right the ability to update your public keys without having to 
change the identifier is, is definitely something that would be valuable also in a in a stack that uses OpenID um, or one of the profiles of OpenID Connect, OpenID for, for VCI. Um, but there's also an, an aspect, I, I think, around the assumptions and, and the values that are just inherent to certain protocols, right? So going beyond the the political questions around who is working on what and who has what kind of products on, on the market, I think it's also interesting to to realize that uh, the technologies are are not neutral, right? So the, the technologies have some have always have some inherent values and and assumptions built in. Um, the the classical example here and the interesting comparison is is again Didcom and and OpenID and uh, some people would argue that Didcom is inherently designed to be uh, egalitarian and uh, based on a, on a peer to peer concept, right? You don't really have uh, clients and servers in Didcom. You just have peers, and uh, both sides of a connection are identified with uh, with Dids, and they are they are both uh, equal, right? And so that feels like it naturally aligns also with the with the original intentions of of deeds whereas in in open id you don't you don't really have this kind of symmetry right in in, in the open id community yes you have uh, open id support for verifiable credentials and for issuers and verifiers and uh, wallets where you you control your credentials and so on but still in in any open id interaction you still have a i would argue a certain asymmetry where one party is the client and the other party is the protected resource and you, you have the open ID provider, which can be a self-issued open ID provider. Yes, but it's still uh, always, uh, there's still always a, a request and a response and, and uh, the two sides of the open ID interactions are not really considered uh, symmetrical as it is in, in DITCOM and, and therefore maybe uh, one protocol aligns uh, more naturally with with this than the other one. In the uh, open ID for verifiable credentials, as it says in the name, it's for verifiable credentials. So it's basically using an existing model that that is used today, but just adapting it for uh, verifiable credentials to be used as tokens, type of thing. Um. But then, like the the focus is often, I find too much on uh, verifiable credentials and not enough on identifiers and the trust models that come with it. But and I feel, I feel the more the more time that you spend thinking about about trust, it's just like the, the credentials are cool. There's awesome use cases for it, but um, it's kind of a secondary conversation. But I, at, at least if you're looking at credential exchange protocols. Uh, you know, open IDs developed for a specific purpose and using credentials for that. But like, there's a lot more thinking and a lot more value that could be created out of of decentralized identifiers beyond exchanging a credential to access a system. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I uh, I uh, find it sometimes a little bit sad that it, I mean, it's 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 great to. Uh, to have so much interest and and so much energy and and funding and, and political support for things like digital wallets and uh, so much uh, development in in open id for for vc, VC issuance and for verifiable presentations and there are a lot of companies and a lot of use cases around that and i think that's definitely a, a good thing right because we 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 are getting towards a point where Digital identity is digital identity becomes something that's more under the individual's uh, control, and credentials only get shared with uh, with your consent and and so on. So all of that is is really good, but uh, it still feels like there's so much more out there that that can be done, right? Uh, like uh, decentralized social networks, uh, the decentralized instant messaging, or, or really any kind of transaction or, or interaction that, that can be built over over a system that's that's based on on deeds and uh, decentralized identifiers I mean uh, recently diff had a had a hackathon right with uh, a, a lot of submissions a lot of interesting 
projects and it was really great to see how much uh, creativity and, and how many ideas uh, people have been working on including uh, using things like uh, decentralized web nodes or, or didcom agents so um, we, we could talk for for a long time about that but just to to agree that uh, yes it's just definitely the, the basis for potentially much more than just uh, verifiable potential exchange yeah and like we were talking about earlier if 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 you start incorporating claims into uh into dids then it kind of potentially changes the paradigm a bit more and again the more the more like we've been thinking about this stuff the more you realize <laughs> other useful features like j just this is a, another opportunity maybe just like the life cycle of a did document for for an enterprise or for for any anyone is actually quite useful as well and you start finding that a lot of these agent technologies and stuff that have been very much focused on credential exchange, like they don't even support like the doc update features and stuff like that, which are like just in any real enterprise use case that they want to benefit from this. It's like, this is a, <laughs> this is a must have a, a, another opportunity to just increase the, uh, the usability and the value of DIDs. And so to me, what, what has always been most interesting about it's that it, it's uh, really not, not not so much about the technical questions or what technical features to to achieve, but uh, in, in inspired by the by the self sovereign identity ideological concepts. So to me, it's have have always been a, a quest, uh, basically to to find out and and to describe how really to establish a, a link between physical identity and, and digital identity right like what is the what is the bridge uh, between that what is the act uh, through which a digital identity is actually uh, created that refers to a identity in uh, in in real life and uh, if, if you think about it that way then deeds and, and deed resolution uh, feel like uh, a very close um, mechanism or very very appropriate mechanism for for bootstrapping a digital identity that is as close as as possible as as identity really really works in the in the physical world right an identity that is um, that is independent of of external third parties, external authorities, or something that's that's yours and that cannot be taken away from you, right? So that that at least for me has been the original spirit of of this, and I should uh, keep that in, in mind as we move forward and try to build more ways into um, creating trust around dids and utility for dids and adoption of dids. You named a few areas where there's uh, different work happening, but maybe for the listeners, could you uh, maybe just talk about some of the working groups or, or current activities going on that may be of interest for for people to join and and contribute towards? Um, yes, there's in in so in W three C there's the credentials community group, which is always a good place to discuss any any kind of topics that, that have to do with uh, deeds or verifiable credentials or related things. And um, as I mentioned, also in W3C, there's right now an ongoing process to establish a, establish a new deed working group. So that's uh, once that is established, it will definitely be a, a great thing to to follow and, and be involved in. And in, in DIFF, of course, we have our identifiers and discovery working group where we often discuss topics related to DITs. Uh, we, we often hear about uh, ideas for new DIT methods or, or also um, things, applications and, and protocols that are being built on, on top of DITs. Um, and uh, yeah, there's also Trust Over IP Foundation, of course, where some work is happening on bridging DITs and, and carry. So uh, I uh, recommend that as well. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice to make sure you're notified of new episodes that may be of interest to you. If you're looking to connect, feel free to reach out directly to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Catch you all later.